Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Nancy Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get a So in over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record. 9.68, the wind is okay. How easy was that? It is Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you again today for another athlete interview. Exciting today to be talking about swimming once again and to be talking to Tokyo Olympian Alex Graham, who returned from those Olympics, two-time bronze medalist, part of the 4x1 and 4x200 men's relay team. Of course, it finished third in each event. This is a, a great chat with Alex, learning about his journey, how he got into swimming, how he had to choose swimming over a couple of other sports, and just that journey that led him into Tokyo, disappointment of not making the Rio team, and how that really helped and spurred him along. He's also a part of the Dolphins leadership team, so we learn a little bit more about the values that come from being part of the Australian swimming team, which is, realistically, I'd love to go through the stats in terms of our global success and success rate of our national sporting teams, how the uh, the swimming team actually would compare to the likes of the netball team and and the, the, the cricket teams and everything along those lines so great insight here from Alex as being part of that leadership team and just a, a very fun chat here which I know you are going to enjoy so here is our chat with Tokyo Olympic two-time bronze medal winning swimmer from Australia Alex Gray. <laughs> exciting on off the podium to be able to talk about the great sport of swimming and today we are speaking to tokyo olympian two-time bronze medalist from the tokyo olympics as well as world champion commonwealth champion you name it this guy has ticked off all the boxes and uh now ticking off the box being on off the podium which is the biggest honor of all uh alex (laughs) graham is with us now alex mate welcome to the show it's a pleasure to chat with you today yeah, thank you very very much for having me, Ben. And yeah, that's quite a little rap shit you gave me there. So yeah, cheers. <laughs> you, you like hearing it though, right? You kind of like hearing, you know, as much as you're like, oh yeah, I'm a humble guy, but like, come on, Olympic medalist, world champ, like it feels nice, you know? <laughs> yeah, you look, yeah, absolutely. I love hearing it, but um, and you know, it actually brings back some good memories when you mention those moments as well. So yeah, it's all all pretty fantastic. Well, I'll make sure to tick off all the good memories on this interview then and, and kind of uh, not, not <laughs> go over the other ones. But, I mean, it's kind of a stock standard question we always ask on this show. How do you get into the sport? But I, I think kind of with swimming, Australia, it's kind of we all swim as kids, you know, we're sort of shoved mm. into a pool. It's kind of part of our lifestyle. But how do you go from sort of the standard Aussie kid swimming to all of a sudden ending in an Olympics? Was it kind of you got in the water, you loved it? Did you find out you were good and kind of pursued it? Kind of how did that journey begin to the competitive side of swimming? Yeah, well, I guess it, for me, it was probably a pretty stock standard story. Um, you know, I had two older sisters um, and I was kind of, as a kid, I was following them around everywhere, um, you know, kind of wanting to do what they were doing. And I guess through that happening, I started swimming at a pretty young age, um, you know, maybe about seven or eight years old. And then I started doing a little, little bit of competitions here and there, but it was never the main focus for me. Um, I grew up in Melbourne uh, in Victoria and, you know, obviously AFL crazy. So I played a lot of AFL as a kid, um, a lot of cricket, pretty much tried every sport just to, you know, see what was for me. But, um, it was definitely AFL cricket and swimming were the main ones. Um, but I guess it kind of took off when I moved to my high school, St. Kevin's College. Um, kind of got under my first, you know, major influence in my swimming career, Gene Jackson. Um, and he kind of, you know, he didn't want to push me too early, but he obviously saw a lot of potential in me um, as a young kid and kind of recognised that. And I kind of remember being about 15 years old and I was still kind of mucking around with the footy and the cricket stuff and, you know, he actually came up to me once and he goes, look, Alex, from what I've heard, you're a better swimmer than you are a football player. So how about we start giving this a bit more of a crack and, you know, we'll see where it takes us. And, you know, at that stage, I was having a bit of success on the state state level. Um, and I was kind of moving through and, you know, 
kind of getting noticed a little bit by the national um, teams as well. So I was pretty into it. Um, as any kid is when you're having success, you know, you really kind of start to love it a little bit more. And I started to get that bit more of a hunger to start doing things and, you know, started looking at these older guys and what they were doing at competitions. Um, you know, 2008 Olympics, 2012 Olympics was a big one for me, watching that as well. Um, and just kind of, you know, starting to figure out that, you know, maybe this is something that I really want to do. And yeah, kind of just pursued it from there. Were you doing well in, in the footy and cricket side of things? I mean, kind of were, the, were they things that if maybe you were very staunch to like, no, my dream is the AFL, that uh, thanks for saying I'm a better swimmer, but I'm doing all right with the footy thing, so, you know, I'm going to pursue this instead. Um, look, I definitely wasn't as good as I was at the swimming. Um, but I guess at that point as well, I was putting a lot of time into the swimming. So I feel like, as with anything, if I put enough time into those things, I probably could have, you know, taken it, you know, to a pretty senior level. I don't think I would have made it into the AFL. Those guys are pretty insane and uh, I probably didn't have the body for it or anything like that. But, you know, maybe like a couple of levels below that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'd love to go back and, you know, maybe when I finish my swimming career and, you know, go play local cricket somewhere like that, I think that would be pretty fantastic too. So, you know, skill level is hopefully still there. But, yeah, just good fun in the end. The, the, the deal, breaker, deal breaker question I feel like I need to ask you now, this will uh, steer the direction of the rest of the interview, Alex. Who, who do you go for in the AFL? I'm uh, a diehard Collingwood supporter and have been Ooh, my whole life. Ouch. <laughs> well, this was fun. Thanks, Alex, for your time. Um, best of luck with that choice. Um, yeah, as a, as a Carlton supporter, we kind of generally hate each other. Oh, so no. Yeah, that, that's it. That, that's fine. To date this interview, this is the, the week of the AFL Grand Final, just to date it. I mean, are you who are you on board this week while we're just on this topic? Are you hoping for the yeah. fairytale Melbourne to break the drought or, or the doggies? Everyone loves the doggies, right? I think everyone does love the doggies. And, you know, I'd actually, I'd love to see Adam Trawal get that flag, um, just obviously with everything that's happened there. But look, I think it's going to be hard to look past Melbourne. Um, I've seen them play a few times this year and they're just insane. They obviously completely trust each other. Their ball movement is fantastic and... You know, even in their defence, when the ball gets kicked down that end, it always looks like they've got three or four Ds players just there ready to pounce. So I think it's going to be there to lose, but I actually think it's going to be a really close game. That's what we want, right? And it's just one of those ones where I think for the neutrals, it's kind of, you don't dislike either of the teams. You kind of are just like, mm. whoever wins is great. Like this isn't, the other year when it was Collingwood West Coast, God, I just I just wanted to stay oh, in bed no. all day, you know? <laughs> Sorry to bring <laughs> that up. Do um, <laughs> not talk to me about that grand final. That still hurts. I can't even I think did cheer for Collingwood that day. I will say I actually, because I hate West yeah. Coast more. So there you go. <laughs> so do all our West oh, yeah. Coast supporters. Um, but <laughs> sort of, I mean, the thing with swimming too is I can imagine, I mean, Everyone really knows the training regime is ridiculous. You're getting up at, you know, five in the morning. You're just swimming endless laps. I mean, does that obviously, when you kind of switch focus, that kind of increases? And, like, how do you keep yourself sane on those mornings where I can imagine sometimes you don't want to get out of bed and just kind of sleep? Is it mm. is it that, that literal Olympic ambition that kind of you're pushing yourself? You know you're doing this for that ultimate dream of potentially reaching an Olympic Games? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess for me, this last maybe 18 months or so and definitely leading into the delayed Olympics was probably one of the most intense training blocks I've ever done um, in terms of K's, in terms of mindset as well. And obviously, you know, because it was delayed a year, um, it just kind of got, everything got enhanced. Um, you know, we were so close to getting to the Olympics uh, in 2020 and obviously got cancelled and then we had to have a little bit of a break and kind of reassess where we're at. And then we kind of had to start again, really, and set little goals along the way and, I think me and my coach, Rich Scarce, um, out at Miami Pool, we kind of he does a really good job with that. We kind of aim for little targets along the way, whether they're just like little meets here and there to try and hit some times and get some race practice. So I guess that sense, you know, we've always kind of got something coming up. So, you know, on those mornings that, you know, it is hard to get out of bed and you don't really want to do it, um, you know that you've got a competition coming up in the next few weeks and just another opportunity to test yourself and have a bit of fun racing because... You know, at the end of the day, when we're, us as swimmers, you know, we're not swimming to do the training, we're swimming to do the racing. That's the funnest part. So those little things to look forward to definitely help. You mentioned before watching Beijing, watching London, you make your first 
Australian team, I believe, at 18 World Championships, I mm-hmm. think 2013, if I'm not mistaken, in Barcelona. Yep. Did, yep. When you're watching London, was that kind of the first time when you're thinking Olympics are a possibility? Was this something growing up as a kid that you'd always watch the Olympics and think this would be cool? I mean, kind of where did that kind of, I guess, uh, desire to be an Olympian first spark? Mm. Well, <clears throat> I, it was not really something that I grew up dreaming of as a kid. Um, but I think as I had more and more success in the pool and I, I started to watch um, all these events and I started to see these big names um, having success on an international stage. And then it was, yeah, it definitely became something that I wanted to do. Um, and I guess, you know, making the team from a young age, um, you know, I thought, you know, it was just a rite of passage kind of thing. And then obviously I missed the, t- I missed the Australian team the next few years and that desire definitely became, you know, greater because I had that, you know, little taste of what it was like on the senior team. And I wanted to get down. I wanted to prove myself. Um, and I guess going to 2016 Olympics, as I said before, I thought, you know, I'm just going to kind of get onto this Olympic team like it's nothing. And like an Olympic, making an Olympic team is nothing. That was the mindset that I had. And obviously missed that team. Um, I didn't make the final in the 200 free that year. And that was obviously an extreme letdown. And I guess watching my mates and some people that I grew up swimming against um, at those 2016 games um, actually, you know, burnt a desire into myself then. And I, I think that was the moment where I really realised that what I want to do is re- put the green and gold on and go to an Olympic Games for Australia. Which because, I mean, the great thing about swimming is that obviously you've got lots of sort of events that kind of, I guess, are perceived as prestigious, you know, World Championships, Pampax, Commonwealth Games, things like that. But, I mean, ultimately it's the Olympics, right? That's kind of what, mm. what you want. I mean, when sort of you're watching the games and, and these teammates and people that you've competed against come home, are you able to kind of like take an opportunity to sit down with some of them and, and kind of get sort of a vibe about, you know, what that was like to spur you on more to kind of kind of hear about those experiences, as you were saying, and kind of really push that, that goal? And did that help you sort of along the journey towards Tokyo? Um, I think so. And you know, I was, I was based on the Gold Coast in 2016. I moved up to the Gold Coast in, at the end of 2014. So I'd spent a couple of years there um, training at Southport. Um, and I guess that wasn't really working out for me. And I decided to move to Rich Scarce's program um, probably September 2016. Um, and at the time, he had Cam McAvoy who had just come off the Olympics. Tommy Fraser Holmes was in, that, in the pool as well. And New Zealand swimmer Matt Stanley. And, you know, I kind of wanted to go and train with those guys and see what it took to be the best. I think that was definitely the turning point for me was to watch these guys in training, see what they were doing and also challenge myself to, you know, take that next step and start racing those guys in training. And then hopefully the, uh, the performances will follow after that, which, you know, they, they certainly did. And in terms of sort of, choosing between say sprinting and the, the longer distances does that come just back from the earlier days where maybe coaches say you're more suited to a sprint than say going after a 1500 meters or something is it was it was it a preference because obviously you're focusing on 100 and, and 200 meters so kind of mm. like where does that decision come about to focus on those events um i think my yeah initially when i first started having a bit of success it was with those shorter distance races and uh, my coach at the time gene he definitely loved those sprint events um he set a lot of ambitious goals for me as a, as a junior um, and we always wanted to target the 100 and I think he just saw that ability in me as well. Um, obviously, I was a, probably a bit of a bigger kid, a bit more muscly, um, a very powerful athlete as well. So targeting those uh, shorter sprint events was definitely um, you know, something that was good for me. Um, but I know some coaches also said that I should probably start doing the 400 um, as well, which is a bit of a stretch for me and I don't particularly like doing it. But um, I think I've got that little bit of that kind of stroke as well, which comes from the, you know, the, the very powerful, powerful strokes, which would be good for a 400. Um, so I guess I've kind of met in the middle of the 100 and the 400 and just kind of nailed the 200. Because it's kind of interesting when it comes to male swimming in this country, particularly sort of when you were growing up. I mean, for, for so long, I think a lot of focus for Australians came in the distance, you know, Kieran Perkins, Grant Hackett, the 1500, then mm. Thorpe comes in with the 400 and the 200. It hasn't really only been really in the last decade where it's almost like the, our pet events now with the sprints, right? You know, kind of mm. when, when you had Eamon Sullivan coming on, you know, James Magnuson, and obviously with Kyle Chalmers now in the 100 metres and you kind of, you know, yeah. you're obviously still getting success in the 400 and that too. But I don't know, just it's, it sort of seems like growing up in that period where the sprints weren't necessarily the, the focus of, of the male swimming in this country, it seemed. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um We've definitely got amazing history in the freestyle events in Australia. Um, 
you know, even Michael Klim in the yeah. 2000 Olympics, leading off that four by one in a world, world record, record. Um, yeah. you know, the hundred flies. So it has, we've definitely got a range of events. So I think it's just the whole Australian swimming tradition really. And obviously, you know, guys like Kieran and Grant and uh, Ian, you know, they made those kind of distance, middle distance events famous for Australia. Um, but I think, yeah, as you mentioned, the, the hundred and the, the 200 kind of taken off, but, even now thinking, you know, I, I still think we're fairly strong in the, in the middle distance as well. So I think, I think it's just the history of Australian swimming and our freestyle swimming, you know, us as kids growing up, watching these guys and then being able to do what they were, they were, do, they were doing. Um, and hopefully we're inspiring, you know, younger kids as well to look up to the freestyle events as well and have a good crack at those. The thing that I really like about, kind of what seems to have been done recently with, with the Dolphins. It's it's that culture, it's that history that you're kind of alluding to. I mean, in Australia, we sort of, we look at, say, the, the the test cricket team, the men's test cricket team, and we see the baggy green, the history around that. But, I mean, there's such a history, as we're saying, around the swimming team. And I know you're part of the leadership group now, Alex, and kind mm-hmm. of things that, like, I see with, you, you know, you all have, like, a number now. I believe you're, like, Dolphin 731 and kind of just things that kind mm-hmm. of connect all that culture. I mean, how important is that to kind of, to, to instill that because if you look at national sporting teams in this country, the, the Dolphins are easily one of our, if not the most successful sporting team we, we have in this country, even more so than, than the cricketers mm. and the netballers and things like that. Yeah. Look, I think it's extremely important. Um, you know, I think everyone's got to realise where they've come from and, you know, they're kind of the pioneers of this sport kind of setting us up. And as I mentioned before, you know, even for myself growing up watching guys like Hacky and, and Ian Wynn on those on those big world stages, and and even you know Eamon Sullivan, James Magnuson, those guys, you know they're paving the way for us to come through. Um, so that connection and being able to get onto an Australian team and get your swimmer pin, and check out all the swimmers that have come before you and the events, you know that kind of makes it a whole lot more special, and you feel you know a part of that Dolphins family as well. So I think that connection to the past as well is you know it's extremely important and really, you know, emphasises how special it is to make an Australian swimming team. And being in a leadership group in a swimming team, because, I mean, people think swimmers, we think individual athletes outside of the relay, mm. but obviously it's a lot more to that. So kind of what, what do you do as part of the, the leadership team and how do you kind of inspire that, you know, inspirational message to the team and bring it to an event like an Olympic Games? Yeah, well, I think that's definitely something that we have worked on. Um, you know, I've been on the leadership team since 2019 and, us as a group, we've been really, our focus has been to kind of create this culture that is conducive of success. But um, I think in order to be able to get that, you know, we've had to kind of break down the barriers a little bit. We don't want any individual that it, um, to be treated, you know, greater than the team. We want everyone to be on the exact same level. And, you know, I think that's something that we really did well uh, this year. It's obviously, we've had the most successful Olympic swimming team in history. Um, was to just break down the barriers and, you know, Talk to people that you wouldn't normally talk to, you know, get into, uh, you know, new friendship groups um, and just show some support, really. And that's been the main thing for us is just to have everybody's back. Um, I think it was particularly emphasised at the Games. You know, we, we didn't have crowds, so it was a bit of a different vibe. But one thing for us was, you know, when you finish your swimming event, you go up into the stands um, and you cheer on your teammates because... There's nothing better than getting behind the blocks, looking up and seeing a bit of a sea of green and gold and, and just knowing that, you know, no matter what happens, you can walk back into this team environment and you'll still be an Australian dolphin for the rest of your life and treated with that amount of respect too. Obviously, we want to talk a little bit more about the Olympic experience shortly, but just while we're on that topic, I mean, walking away part of the leadership team and just being on that team in general, 21 medals, you know, nine of them gold. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Pretty amazing. To put that into context, Australia only won nine gold in total at the uh, Atlanta Olympics back in 1996. This is nine gold in mm. one sport. Uh, I mean, yeah. just is this, as long as you've been part of the team, but is this kind of the, the highest of highs that people have felt during this team and just the confidence levels that must be within the, the Dolphins at the moment after the success in Tokyo must be just extraordinary leading into, you know, 2022 and beyond? Yeah, yeah. Um- yeah, honestly, it was fantastic. It's something that I am extremely proud of. Um, I'm extremely proud to be part of this team. And I think, you know, to even make the Australian Olympic swimming team is probably one of the hardest teams to make um, in Australia. You know, the qualifying process that we have to go through. And we actually had a really, really successful 2019 World Championships. Um, 
we had a bit of a smaller team there, but the way that we came together and kind of rallied around each other, it really, you know, it instilled some confidence in the whole team that we can go away to Tokyo and we can have a really, really solid experience. And for me personally, the highlight, you know, it was fantastic to walk away with two medals with, you know, some, some of my great friends in those relays, but even to be up in the stands and to watch some of those extreme, extremely uh, special performances, you know, even, you know, Kate Campbell winning a bronze medal in the 100 free, Emily Seabon bronze medal in the 200 metre backstroke. And that's their fourth Olympic Games. And I think that the team culture that we built, you know, it really helps get the best out of everybody on the day and get those performances. And, you know, to watch every single session, you know, something special happen from an Australian athlete was, yeah, it was really, really special. Was, was there anybody as animated as, as Dean that we just didn't see on the cameras? Like, I mean, kind of, a, is, are there any of you up in the stands that are also kind of going a bit cray-cray while some volunteers are staring at going, who the hell are these Australians? But they're, boy, they're excited. <laughs> oh, probably not taking it to that extent. But, you know, I remember on the last, on the last, um, it must have been the last morning, so the last session of the finals, and we had a massive uh, Australian contingent up in the stands and pretty much every race we were going absolutely nuts. And I can remember that, uh, the women's medley relay it was one of the last events of the games and you know Kate Campbell that little anchor leg and she pushed the relay so tight and we were all just like on the edge of our seats and when she touched the wall we were all going crazy and you know I'm jumping up and down and yeah as you know Kyle Kyle's 100 free as well that was something that mm. I went I went absolutely nuts for um, myself and Zach and Serdy and Kyle we were kind of pretty good mates while we were away um, and Zach and I were up in the stands sitting next to each other watching and we were literally hugging each other and bouncing up and down on the spot. It was just, yeah, I don't know if the camera camera's caught us at all, but it was probably, probably yeah, relatively similar to Dean. But um, no, it was just a fantastic environment to be a part of. Which, as you're saying, it's kind of that unique aspect. No crowds, kind of, you are the crowds there, but your first Commonwealth Games is a little bit different. you got 10,000 screaming Aussies behind you, mm. sort of, you know, in, in those events, which obviously adds to it. I mean, you, you'd moved to the Gold Coast, basically pretty much in your backyard now. I mean, what was that Commonwealth Games experiences, you know, obviously getting a gold in, in the relay and, and making the final yourself in the individual 200 metres? I mean, do you kind of mm. walk away with that, the progression's working closer towards Tokyo and you're feeling like you're kind of getting back into that zone? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was definitely a goal for me, um, you know, having that little hiatus from the swimming team and then getting back into the, the 2017 Worlds. Um, you know, the, the aim for me was definitely to make that Gold Coast Commonwealth Games. Um, I hadn't been to a multi-sport event before, so I knew it would be seriously special. And as you mentioned, the Gold Coast is kind of my second home. So I do distinctly remember um, walking off the bus for day one of the meet, Um and I could hear the crowd kind of humming. And it was, that was when it kind of hit me. And I was like, wow, this is, this is seriously special to be able to swim in front of, you know, 10,000 mostly um, Australian supporters. And I had my family up there. My, uh, my sisters hadn't seen me swim on the international level before. So that was a, that was a very special moment for me. And, yeah, it was a, just a really cool experience. Is there much difference as a swimmer swimming in an outdoor pool when you are so probably used to swimming in an, in an indoor pool? Does it add much of a, of a difference to how you perform? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, well, I guess obviously if it's raining, then it might make it a little bit more difficult. But I think the Gold Coast pool was quite enclosed as well. They obviously had the stands all around it. Um, so it was yeah, relatively similar. There wasn't like there was big gusts of wind or anything like that, but I guess for us, the trials were actually um, in March and it was extremely hot um, on the Gold Coast. And I think that was a bit of a struggle. Um, you know, people people obviously struggle with backing up in the heat. Um, but apart from that, yeah, I don't think there's a massive difference. And in terms of when you have a trial, because I remember that, those trials were basically a month out from the Games, weren't they? Like it was mm. kind of really close and, and often trials are maybe a couple of months out. I mean, is it a preference as a swimmer that you want it as close to the event as possible to kind of build momentum if you have a good meet or is it kind of the opposite that you don't want to leave it down to pressure like, shit, I've only got, you know, a month to before the Games, This is it all comes down to this? Yeah, I think that was something that Swimming Australia recognised. Um, that's the way the US do things. So they do their trials about five weeks out from the major competition. Um, so our head coach at the time, Yako, and, you know, everyone involved in the high performance uh, program with Swimming Australia kind of recognised that and wanted to move the trials so they were a bit closer to, you know, obviously the US, the most successful swimming team in the world. Um, 
So, you know, if we can kind of replicate what they were doing, maybe we'll have the same success. And I feel like it's obviously worked for us. Um, we've had some great, great results off the back of, you know, having our trials about five weeks out um, this year as well. I, something kind of, you know, that just triggered a little memory. I remember we were in the staging camp this year for Tokyo and we were about to head over to the games. And our head coach, Rowan, said, you guys have done the performances to make this team. You've already done them. And that was only three weeks ago. So you've got to have absolute confidence in yourself that you've, you've done the performance and it's right there, you know. We've only we've had about a week more of like a little bit of work, but we've mostly been resting. So we should have absolute confidence in, our, in, in ourselves and our ability to be able to perform again. So and I think, yeah, we really executed well. In terms of yourself when it comes to leading into the, the Tokyo trials, obviously you, you go into the 200, the, the individual, you want to obviously qualify either way go into the individual event but do you kind of have to balance a a thought process of I'm going to go into this to qualify myself for an individual event but I've got to make top four or however it will work to make the relay team I mean how kind of is that balancing act where you know you want to make it no matter what but I'm sure you want to make it as an individual as much as you want to make it as a relay Mm. as well yeah absolutely um I think for me leading into this year um I was coming off some pretty good form um I had a great year in 2019, just on the world stage um, at ISL. I had some great swims and I had a lot of momentum on my side. And um, I think for me, the, the goal was always to win. Um, I was going into the trials, yeah, with that goal, thinking to myself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win this um, and I'm going to qualify. And having that goal in mind, you know, I'm going into a meet aiming to come, to come first, but knowing, you know, that they're going to take top six. So kind of a little bit of a little bit of security but for me yeah it's just that mindset of going to a meet knowing you're going to win I guess um, and not so much thinking about coming top six but I'm um, yeah trying to come top two and then does that happen when the disappointment of, of just missing out on an individual place in that 200 in the trials that it kind of it will click eventually like how long does it take for you to obviously get over that disappointment to then all of a sudden go mm. oh well I've made the team because I've, I've finished in that top six yeah, um, I actually struggled struggled a lot with that um, purely because I'd also done a really good heat swim. Um, you know, I pumped out a really, really good time and I'm still ranked, you know, first in Australia with that time. Um, so it was definitely a tough pill to swallow. Um, and it, it actually took me a couple of weeks to get over that. Obviously, I kind of felt like I'd, you know, almost failed, but, you know, I hadn't because I just made my first Olympic team, you know, it was hard for me to realize that dream. Um, I'm so thankful, you know, I've got a really good support team around me. Um, you know, obviously my whole family couldn't come to the trials because Melbourne were in, were in lockdown, but it just so happened that my mum came up to the Gold Coast a couple of weeks um, before the trials um, to hang out and, you know, take care of me and get some mum feeds in there. But so she was able to be there with the tri- at the trials with me, which was, yeah, really grateful. And she kind of helped me realize that I just achieved my dream as well and which was getting to an Olympic Games but I definitely struggled with it um, at the staging camp for the first few weeks Um, obviously not having my home team around me I was kind of doing some sets on my own and I just kind of was thinking to myself well what's the point you know but I think my coach Rich kind of got me on board and just said look you've got a really really good chance to come away with a couple of medals here like you've got to kind of step up on the block and put all this shit you know behind you and just, yeah, focus on doing your best for the team. And I think that's when my mindset kind of changed. And I thought to myself, you know what, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to be the team guy. and I'm going to get the best out of myself so the team can perform on the day and see what happens. So I was going to say, imagine, you know, being part of, of the leadership team, you know, you've got the whole team as well as sort of these smaller teams. It, it can be tricky with that. I mean, were there outside of getting some inspirational words from a coach? I mean, were there sort of things that you did on a mental way to kind of cope with that? Was your type of guy that just, needs to lock yourself in a room for a couple hours, listen to some music, you know, play some Sudoku, mm. play some PlayStation. I mean, kind of what sort of things do you do to kind of work on the mental side of that disappointment? Yeah, look, I'm not going to lie. It was hard. Um, I guess yeah, I was and I, and I did have to, I had to, you know, get the best out of myself kind of every day. And I felt like I had to put on a face um, just because obviously I am on the athlete leadership team. And I guess people are looking to me to, you know, to support them and, um, you know, get the best out of themselves as well. And, but, you know, it was a bit of a struggle. And as I mentioned before, I've got a really good support team around me, um, whether that's my, you know, my mates, 
uh, my family, my coach. So I was kind of on the phone to them quite a fair bit. Um, you know, I remember speaking to my parents at one point and just being like, look, I don't really want to be here. Like, I don't know how to get over this. And they were just, you know, kind of, <laughs> dad's quite funny. He's, he's a, he just says, you know what, there's worse people out there. You know, there's other, you know, you get to go to the Olympics right now and people are in lockdown. So, you know, just try and get the best out of yourself and, you know, try and get the best performance and help the team as much as you can. So I guess it was just about having that support network. Um, and that's the main thing for me. I'm, I love my mates. You know, I've got a really good close set of mates um, and I'm, I'm actually able to lean on them as well, you know. Um, and they offer me support. So I think it's just, yeah, that kind of environment for me, which is fairly lucky, really. I can imagine as a Collingwood supporter, you often need to have uh, mates to help you out through certain things there, Alex. So, uh, especially, especially this year, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just, just, just along there. At least you have a coach right now. Come on, you may have sacked one, but you've got one. <laughs> That's okay. it. Yeah, exactly. Which, I mean, just on the Olympics itself, though, kind of going through what you're saying there, was there a moment that when you got to Tokyo, be it before competition, after competition, where you were able to soak it in and go, fuck, I'm an Olympian, there are the rings, this is the village, like, and kind of just really taking those Olympic experiences that maybe you had envisioned in your mind before? Mm. Honestly, I think it really hit home when we first got to the village. Um, and you can kind of see on that big multi-sport event on the global scale, it was, you know, something that I've never experienced before. Um, having all these other athletes around, you know, I walked past Novak Djokovic, you know, I was centimeters away from him in the food in the food court and i thought that was something that was really special and just the whole experience there and being able to put on the uh, australian olympic uniform as well um we didn't get that until we kind of got into the village um and so yeah it kind of really hit home that that was uh, this is the olympics experience to me and especially being able to you know obviously swim in that four by one final um early on in the week um i wasn't really expecting to be a part of the final i knew that you know if i could try you know, put together a fairly good swim in the prelims, I might be a chance. And I think there was no prouder moment, you know, standing on the dice with, you know, with my brothers and watching the Australian flag go up. You know, that was something that was really, really special for me. And that's kind of when it hit home that, you know, this is an Olympic Games and it's been years, years and years of hard work in the making. So, yeah, it was a pretty special experience. How does that selection work for the final? You, you swim the heat. And do you know straight away, does a coach come to you and go, Alex, you've done a good enough job or does it, is it final day? And they basically, they make that final selection hours before the final. Usually they have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen. Um, you know, obviously the, usually the two fastest from trials um, will go through to, and swim the final. And then there's two more spots on the line, but um, there was only five of us. Um, and I think it kind of came down to, you know, who was going to kind of perform in the prelims on the day. And I think I just, probably just like minusculely outperformed cam um and i was fortunate enough you know straight off uh, it probably took us about 20 minutes to walk through the media zone and actually get back to the warm-up pool and by that at that point um the relay coach peter bishop kind of came up to us and said this is how it's going to work tonight so get your head around that and prepare and have a crack and how it must be such a bittersweet feeling though because Cam's a mate, Cam's a training partner, like to kind of, you know, you want yeah. to be there to kind of support him. You're happy that you've made and you get to swim in an Olympic final, but at the same time, Cam's himself. I mean, how do you kind of balance those emotions? Yeah, look, I think when we're there, everyone knows how it works. Um, and obviously there is some disappointment with Cam um, and, you know, it would have been disappointing for me to miss out on that as well. Um, but that's, that's the game that we play, I guess. Um, I guess in these team events, you know, it is an individual individual sport but we're lucky enough to be a part of the team and I think the mindset the mindset's got to shift to what is best for the team um, no matter what so if, if they decided that I had to sit out and that was the better for the betterment of the team I would have been happy I would have accepted it and just been like no worries it's all good I'll get up into the stands and I'll scream my lungs off for the boys so you know there is a little bit of disappointment but there's also it's like you know we're here as an Australian swimming team you're competing as Australia, you know, you're not, I'm not competing as Alex Graham in the 4x100, I'm competing as Australia. So you just got to kind of remember that and yeah, just remember what's going on. In terms of placement in a, in a final, uh, is that a coach decision? Is that a team decision? Like you're going to, you're going to swim the third leg. I mean, you know, Kyle's the obvious one to swim the last leg because of, of his, I mean, is that kind of how it works? And how much of a say, like, can you Question that and say, like, hey, coach, no, I'd really like to swim the second one. I think I'm, I'm helpful more on the strategic side mm. of things. How does all that work? Yeah, it's mostly coach. 
Um, the coach makes the decisions there. Um, obviously, Kyle's an amazing, amazing back-end swimmer, so we're always going to have him on the end because I think no matter what, knowing that he's about to jump in and you know, rip a pretty awesome performance, and he's an amazing athlete and amazing, he's got amazing head, um, uh, you know, athlete's brain. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's mostly up to the coaches. And But I guess if I really, really wanted to, I could say, yeah, like, give me a crack going first. But I think, you know, for, I think we all know, you know, what a good order would be um, and who's on and who's not on. So I think, yeah, he's going to kind of have to trust the coaches at that point to make the right decision. And also try, it's up to us really to produce on the day as well. Because is your role essentially as the third swimmer to keep up a, a close enough gap or whatever the, you know, kind of position is to allow Kyle to not have to have too much work to do. I mean, is the third leg in a relay one of the most pressure filled in some way? Because you've got to basically give that, that final swimmer who it's all coming down to enough that they're not having to catch up the entire hundred meters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, I think every leg is got a certain element of pressure to it. Um, no matter where you're going, I think some people think you can kind of hide the swimmers in the second and third legs, but I don't think that's the case at all. Obviously, we've got to dive in and we've got to produce some awesome swims to to be able to keep up with the other teams. You know, we can't let them get too far in front. Otherwise, there's not even a point. You know, there's only so much, you know, the man at the back can do. So that is, yeah, definitely the goal for me was to get in there and produce a good enough swim that, you know, I've done my job for Australia and to get us into a good position or to hold a position. Um yeah, and you know, kind of be you know close enough so that uh, so the big man can come home and reel in a medal for us. One thing I loved during the the coverage of Tokyo, Ian Thorpe as an expert comment. I mean, just I'd never really heard someone so insightful in kind of giving you an insight what it is to to be an athlete in a sport like swimming. When it comes to you on the blocks, you're getting ready to jump in, Zach's coming towards you. What's that kind of point when you're watching him to, to jump in? Because Ian, I, I remember, explained it vividly, kind of like, this is my point. I'd be watching as soon as the person in front of me was at this point, that's mm. when I jump in. You don't even think if you're making a you know early entry or anything. Do you kind of have that? Is that the same for every swimmer or do you have something unique for yourself? Um, it's di- well, it's probably different for every swimmer. Um, you know, they've got to you know figure out what's best for them and figure out their trigger points as well. But We've done so much work on relays and relay changeovers the past few years and with the same group. Um, obviously, they identified a, you know, a group of about 10 of us that could potentially be on a relay and you know, we've come together and we're doing relay changeovers pretty much every opportunity we can. So we, kind of, we, we know what's going to happen on the day and who's going to swim into us and you know, no matter what their stroke is, um, I usually yeah, have a little trigger point. So where they're, when their head's kind of coming and hitting the tee, you kind of got to trust yourself enough to just go. Um, and that just comes with practice. You know, we did, and as I mentioned before, we've done so much practice with it that it's kind of just second nature to us now. And I think we all kind of nailed our relay changeovers, which is fantastic as well while we, while we were there. So obviously practice makes perfect. In that four by one, you get out of the pool, you've barely got 40 seconds to, to recover and cheer on Kyle and comes in, touches bronze, beats the Canadians who as, as a co-Australian Canadian podcast, uh, it was bittersweet at the same time. Sorry, Colin. But I mean, what, what's that, what's that moment like when you see that up on the board that all of a sudden you're an Olympic medalist, that that's, that's the dream. There you are in an Olympics and you're going to walk away with a nice piece of bling around your neck as well. Yeah. Look, I'm not going to lie. It actually, it didn't really hit home until I was, you know, on the, on the dice about to receive my medal. Um, I was kind of just trying to take everything in and, you know, a little bit of just like a little bit of shock. And I'm just like, Oh wow. Like that, that just happened. And, you know, it took a while for it to sink in, but um, obviously when it did sink in, it was something that was pretty special and being able to share it with, you know, with your mates and the guys that you've been battling with the last few years um, makes it all the more special too. In the 4 by 2 you go into that event as the reigning world champions, come away with the bronze, narrowly miss out on, on, on a silver as well. I mean, did everyone go into that event kind of, hey, we're the world champions, we can get a gold? Had, had things changed enough in a couple of years that it wasn't, you know, realistic? I mean, kind of what was the thought process going into the 4 by 2 oh, We definitely went in there with a lot of confidence. Um, but I guess at the trials, we all, you know, it was extremely fast, you know, domestic uh, two in a freestyle final, um, you know, top four going under 146 is pretty special. I'm not sure if there's ever been a point in Australian two in a freestyle history that that's happened. So we obviously knew that we were up for a medal chance. Um, and, you know, I think we had enough trust in ourselves that 
we could produce something pretty special. Um, but at the same time, we'd just seen um, before, maybe in about April, the British guys pump out some seriously fast 200 freeze as well. And I guess it was the day before the 4x200, they had the individual 200 final. We just saw the two British boys go 1-2 one, one, in that. So we obviously knew that they were going to be the team to beat. Um, but fortunately enough, we were parked up right next to them in the uh, after the heat swim. So we knew that if we were, you know, within, you know, striking distance, we could definitely, definitely give it a crack. But they obviously produced some seriously fast swims. And, you know, they almost broke world records, so credit to them. Um, and, yeah, I think, you know, we did a similar time to what we did to win the world championships in 2019. So there wasn't much more that we could have done. Um, I think, you know, obviously coming away with another medal in that event was, yeah, really fantastic for us. Where, where did this come from? I don't, I'm not comfortable with Britain being good at swimming. Like, I mean, they can, they can beat us in other sports, but not swimming, Alex. I, like, I, the Americans, you understand, you know, you, you beat the Americans, great, but how are Britain all of a sudden beating us in swimming? We need to investigate this. I know, I think we do as well. Um, no, but they've, they've been good for a few years. You know, they've, I think they won the World Championships in 2015 and 2017. So they've obviously had some pretty strong swimmers and they've been building for a while. So, you know, we're actually quite good friends with the guys on the British team. So, you know, if we were going to get beaten by anyone, I was kind of, you know, I was glad it was them and maybe not wow. the US. But That's, You're the only Australian US. sporting uh, person to say, I'm glad to get beaten, beaten by the Brits instead. Like, that's interesting. Well, look, it, 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 was, the best of a bad, it was the best of a bad situation, wasn't it? So. <laughs> yes, yeah, I which, I mean, you beat the Americans, though. That's that's the main thing, right? Like <laughs> Exactly right. I love, I love nothing more than beating the Americans. Um, I remember they just pipped us at the Pants Packs in 2018 up. I've kind of I took that personally and kind of held a grudge against them ever since then. So pretty happy to get the the win over them. Is there much sledging on the pool deck or when you're in the warm up room or anything like that? I mean, famously you mentioned the four by one from Sydney, the the smashing of guitars, Gary Hall Jr., all that sort of stuff. But does it still go on? And is it the Americans that are kind of the quippy ones, and you got to kind of watch out for those guys? Uh, nothing much goes on, you know. Like people don't say things to your face. Um, you obviously hear some stories come out of maybe like a press conference where someone's, you know, said something outrageous. Um, I know Lily King came out and said that the U.S. women have the opportunity or, or will win, you know, every women's event at the games. So, you know, people will come out and say some things and you can, you know, take it on board or you can laugh at them, do whatever you need to do. And but there's definitely not that, you know, in your face kind of banter that goes on um, anymore. I'm not, I'm not sure if it ever did, but. Yeah, not definitely not uh, these days. Now, I don't expect you to answer this, but I'd love you to answer this. Is is there a swimmer or two out there? They don't just have to be Americans. They can be anyone. But is there is there a couple of swimmers that you're just like, fuck, I love beating them. Like, just I feel <laughs> nothing more than just I've beaten you in a race. Screw you, buddy. <laughs> um, oh, there's definitely a couple out there, but I'm not going to name names. <laughs> <laughs> We, we, we can, sure we can my, use our I'm sure imagination. My, I'm sure my friends, my friends will know. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but you know what? I, I think it's great to have rivals. Um, I think your rivals, they, they get the best performances out of you. Um, mm. Because, you know, I know for a fact that, it, you know, if you don't like someone, they probably don't like you back, you know. And, you know, it actually gets you to, you know, bring the performances out of each other. So, at the end of the day, I actually really like racing, racing my rivals. So. Sometimes it kind of works where, like, I, I know sort of Seven pumped up the whole Ariane Katie rivalry, and then I think there was the the interview after uh, maybe the eight hundred, and kind of they both just sort of looked at the journal like, yeah, we, we like each other, we, we you know, we, we mm. get along, and like, I mean, I know you guys are doing your job to build it up, but like, we don't have a problem with each other, and it's kind of like it's like you're pumped up for like, oh, here it is, but then also yeah. like, oh, okay, they respect each other, cool. <laughs> yeah, I think you've got to have. I think respect is the key, isn't it? Like, you can't just come out and say, you know, I'm going to beat the greatest swimmer of all time, and not have respect for her. Um, and I think Katie would appreciate the challenge as well. You know, young people coming up, they have the ability to challenge you and, you know, they keep you on your toes. And as I mentioned before, you know, they have the ability to get the best performances out of you. So I think it's just got to be a bit of a mutual respect. You know, you can love to race each other and love to beat each other, but at the end of the day, you've got to be able to get out of the pool and shake hands and say, you know what, well, that was a cracking race, you know, well done. So... Yeah. It kind of works that way. One thing, actually, I feel I should say, as a as a Tasmanian, Alex, you are welcome for Ariane Titmus. I just I felt <laughs> the need. She is a Tasmanian. We need to point that out. I know she's she based is. in Queensland, but uh, I did see she, recently she got the keys to Launceston. So she did. That's, that's not that hard, you know. It's I mean, God, 
it's, it's Launceston. Yeah, it's it's kind of like just giving away every now and then. But no, great. We're we're very proud of her. Obviously, I mean, I I remember when she started coming out on the world stage. Like growing up in Tasmania, her dad was our main newsreader on on Channel mm. Seven. So it's kind of like you see the word Titmus, and you're like, wait, is that any relation to Steve? And then all of a sudden, it's like. Yeah. A couple of years, she's now bigger than uh, Steve. Because in the nineties, Steve Titmus was one of Tassie's, you know, best known people. So, how the <laughs> tides turn, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's crazy, crazy how it, life works. It is crazy. Yeah, I always love finding out from our guests who are who are medalists, uh, and obviously it's sort of very recent. So I don't know if kind of you've got a place yet, but I mean, do you keep the medals somewhere? Are they kind of just out in the bench because you're going to schools and showing them off a lot? And kind of, where are they right now? Um, well, we get some pretty special boxes that they get kept in. Um, so I've got mine just kind of next to my TV. Um, my mates have a good time coming over and like getting them out and putting them on and playing with them. So they're, <laughs> they're kind of just sitting out at the moment. But um, my other medals, I usually give to my, my old man. He kind of takes takes care of them back in Melbourne. Um, he's got my Commonwealth Games gold. But um, other than that, I've got my World Championship gold in my bookshelf um, in my office. So I'll kind nice. of just probably sit around and serve as little little trophies and I can show off to people. Is it something that one day, like when, when you hang up the cap, that it would be nice to kind of have like a, I don't know, like something on a wall or, uh, you know, something along those lines? Yeah, potentially. Um, I've definitely got some Olympic memorabilia that I'll probably frame and, you know, keep in a, in a special place. Um, but, yeah, I haven't, I haven't thought about it too much at this point in time. But, you know, I love, I love giving back to my my family especially my parents um that's why i usually give my old man my medals and he puts it in his office because they gave so much of their time to me when i was growing up and they're so supportive as well so i think that's something pretty special now we, we wrap up alex with a bunch of serious kind of like fun questions to do that but before before we get to those one thing i want to touch on because i think you might be our first guest that sort of has been involved in the in the isl um just tell us a little about kind of that experience because this is obviously something pretty exciting that is been around now for a few years and and kind of really mm. adding to the to the sport. I mean, what, what's that experience like to be part of it, and and how competitive is that sort of you know when you're swimming for a team versus a a country? I can imagine a bit of a bit of a rivalry there kind of would be a bit different to sort of being in Olympic Games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I was in the inaugural season in 2019. Um, I think it was absolutely fantastic. I think the uh, the idea of it is awesome. Um, being able to you know. Because you know we're obviously individual athletes, but being able to come together and compete for your team um, just you know kind of changes changes it up a little bit and has the potential to get you know better performances out of yourself because you know you're, you're stepping up behind the block and you have to do this for the team. Um, you're not doing it just for yourself. So, but I think the concept is amazing. Um, obviously, the last couple of years has been a bit hard for the Australians with the COVID situation going on. We can't really travel. Um, I know people are over there at the moment. Um, they went off the back of the Olympics, which is fantastic. Um, it looks like they're having a really good time and the competition's been been pretty good. Um, obviously, I chose not to go over there. I put a lot of mental effort into trying to get to this Olympics again, the best out of myself. So I was definitely due for a little bit of a break. But um, I think it's awesome. Um, and I think what they're doing for the sport is fantastic. It's obviously you know, giving us more competition, more racing experience, also giving swimmers the opportunity to be in a team with people that you know, you've not usually in a team with, you know, it's an international team. So opportunity to make new friends and new competitors as well. And yeah, I think the whole concept is just amazing. Why isn't there an Australian team? Why do we have teams in Europe and, and the US and Canada <laughs> and, and Asia? Like what, what's going on? I think of swimming nations, you think of Australia, what's, where, where's, he, where's the Sydney swimmers or something along those lines? Yeah, <laughs> mate, I would love to have a team on the Gold Coast, but uh, <laughs> I think it's just, I think it's more just the travel at the moment. Um, Obviously, with the world, the last you know it's been pretty weird the last couple of years. Um, Australia is quite hard to get to in the scheme of things. Obviously, for the European um, nations and the Americas and stuff like that, so it's a fair amount of travel involved. Um, I guess you know Europe, everything's so close, and even the US is only really like eight hours away from Europe. So, I think it's more just the location at the moment. Um, and I would love to see one in the next few years once the world starts to open up a little bit. Um, and obviously, this year. The ASL got announced, so the Australian Swimming League. So we're going to be right. starting that up, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, that'll give a great opportunity for you know some up-and-coming young kids to get some competition in with some senior athletes. I think that's the most exciting part of the whole thing. So get that development in and a bit more racing and a bit more team-based um, activity, which is great. 
which does that mean then that we can have Ariane back to come compete for like the the the, the Tassie Toads or something like that, or is she going <laughs> to stick her allegiances to Queensland? Oh, who knows? You'd have to ask her that. Um, if there is a Tassie team, we'd love to love to get her down there to lead that. Um, yeah. But yeah, we'll just have to wait and see how it how it all works out. The Tassie Tim Paynes. We can honour a great Tasmanian by making him the mascot of another team. Like that works. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, I could. Yeah, potentially see that, have <laughs> Don't know if that's ever happened before, but you'd probably go for the Tassie David Boons or the Tassie Ricky Pontings before, no offence to, you know, Tim Payne's achievements, but uh, just on the, the pecking ladder kind of going going on. The Tassie Timmises, that, that speak, there we go. Like, that, could, that could be it. That could be the one, yeah. Straight away, straight away. Uh, and before we get to the questions, sta- stock standard cliche question I've got to ask. You're sick of answering it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Paris 2024, is that the goal, kind of pushing towards a, a second Olympics? Yeah, I think so. Um, at the moment, I'm pretty motivated to, to do that. Um, I think that this most recent Olympics experience has, yeah, really you know, instilled that motivation in me and I really want to push myself to see if I can make another one. Um, I obviously know how much work is going to be required to do that. My body will be a little bit older, so I'm going to have to probably change some things up and, um, yeah, do some things differently. But, yeah, I definitely definitely want to go to the other, to the next one. And uh, you mentioned before about bumping into Novak Djokovic in, in the village. I believe you had Paddy Mills take a photo of you as well. So, I mean, you know, kind of can you not uh, up that for Paris? That You know, you've got kind of these celebrity encounters that all of a sudden you can just up it up. You know, Michael Phelps is probably going to come out of retirement for Paris, so you can bump into <laughs> Michael Phelps and have him take a photo. So, kind of, you know, these achievements, yeah. you've got to tick off the bucket list, right? That's it. I think, you know, the more celebrities I can get to take a photo of me, the, the better. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Not the other way around. Exactly. You know, bugger the selfies. Have them take a picture of you. You're Alex Graham, two-time Olympic medalist. You know, Paddy, you've only got one medal. God, jeez, come on. Um, now, we close off, as I said, with a series of fun questions. These are based on a Team Canada questionnaire they gave to their athletes ahead of Rio and Pyeongchang. Bit of fun. Get to know you. There's a drawing element, Alex. If you want to do it, it's homework. You don't have to. It's fine. But if you're a great drawer and you love it, like, by all means, let us know and we can get you involved. Um, To you, first question, the greatest Olympian of all time is? Well, it's got to be Michael Phelps. Yep, yep. Good answer. I think so. Standard, yep. yeah. Somebody you ever, did you ever race against him or kind of any sort of meet that you, you uh, went to? No, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't really fortunate enough to do that. Um, I would have loved to in 2016, but obviously just missed that team. But, um, yeah, never got the opportunity. The, you maybe kind of answered this before. Uh, the first Olympics that you ever remember watching was? Um, yeah, it would have been 2008, but I obviously still remember um, seeing the 2004 ones, um, obviously Ian Thorpe was plastered all over the front of the papers. So I definitely remember that happening. But, yeah, most vividly it was 2008. You obviously, I think, about five during Sydney. Do you remember anything like, I guess, Australia at that time, mm-hmm. kind of the, the whole, you know, experience of, of being an Australian Olympian at that time when, um, uh, you know, when the Olympics were in the country, I should mm. say? I, no, I don't remember a lot, um, to be honest. Um, obviously... I feel like I do because I've seen the races so many times because it's obviously ingrained in Australian history. But, yeah, I don't remember much. Well, just saying Brisbane, what will you be, like 37? Come uh, Brisbane? Mm. Brent, Brent Hayden in his late 30s, wasn't he? So Yeah, he was, yeah. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Look, we'll see how we go. I could retire for nine years and come back hey. like he did. So. Yeah. There's plenty of <laughs> other sports card. you could try. Like, I mean, you know, there's uh, yeah. get back into cricket. Cricket could be an Olympic sport by 2032. So Did there's that, possibilities. Yeah. Um, your favourite ice cream flavour is? Um, probably chocolate or chocolate chip. Nice. Good answer. Do you have like a, a standard like brand? Like are you a Magnum Man or like a Cornetto or just whatever's <laughs> going or... Oh, we're going brands. Yeah, probably. I I love a good Maxi Bond. That's for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a that's a good one. I haven't heard that one for a while. Uh, if you were a baseball player, what would your walk up music be? <laughs> Jeez, I don't know about that one actually. Um, <laughs> there's a song called Inspector Norse, um, which is like a bit of a pump up one for me. Uh, me and my mates are really into that one, and they kind of know that. Uh, when that song comes on, it's a bit of a fire-up time, so maybe that one. <laughs> I do I do love how, you know, nowadays you sort of, you're walking out onto the deck, you've got the flashy graphics, all that kind of stuff. I mean, is there, you know, certain events where you can have a song as you kind of walk out? I mean, sort of in athletics, they're kind of going out there, they're doing their poses and everything. Like, I mm. feel the swimmers are getting shown up by the athletes now. You need to kind of bring this <laughs> into the sport. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I, it would probably be a bit hard to do a song for each individual person, probably draw out <laughs> the, uh, the whole process of it. But um, yeah, maybe one song for, per event would be good. Should be in that lane four. So if you qualify fastest for the final, you get to pick which song you want. That'd be good. Exactly. You are the fastest for the final. You get some precedence there. So I like that. That kind of works. Uh, You just just piss all the other competitors off. Play like, I don't know, like Ethiopian country or something like that. It's kind of like, (laughs) this is the best. And they're like, what the fuck is that? Uh, It could be be used as a psych-out tactic. It would be an interesting way to do it. Sneakily wear earplugs so you're not hearing it. But um, <laughs> or, or again, you might love Ethiopian country. I don't know. Cool, great. It's, I'm sure it's good. Uh, in a movie about your life, who would play you? Good question. Um, you know, I love Ben Stiller or Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn's got the height, so I want to say Vince Vaughn. I probably need to dye his hair, though. That would work. Yeah. All right. I like it. Uh, your guilty pleasure snack is? Hmm. I love potato chips, so maybe just like the uh, Red Rock Deli sea salt. Ooh. They're pretty good. Yes. Are they are they allowed in the training regime as an Olympic swimmer or is it kind of a sneaky don't tell the coach or just Probably not under at, the table? Yeah, not when we're in full training mode, but it's the last <laughs> few weeks I've definitely smashed a few packets. I think you're allowed to. You, you might be allowed to there. Um, you, you answered this one, uh, your favourite sporting team. Do you have other sort of teams and other competitions uh, that you kind of follow outside of the AFL? Um, yeah, I, I like kind of all sports. Um, obviously, I've kind of been getting into the basketball a little bit. Um, been trying to follow the Grizzlies. Nice. Um, okay. All right. Any Jump reason around. for or just, just like the team? No, well, yeah, I like bears as animals, so grizzly bears. Yeah, I just kind of think of myself as a big bear sometimes, you know, lots of hibernating, hey, lots of eating. So that works. Bit, the chips. can be a bit scary. I was very <laughs> nearly a grizzly. Like growing up, I was a bull supporter. But as, as someone who loves Canada, when the two Canadian teams came in, it was like, oh, Raptors, mm. Grizzlies, and went yeah. Raptors, Jurassic Park, had to go that way. But I, I've, I've got a soft spot for the Grizzlies from their time in Vancouver. So uh, Yeah. Sure. And plus, I like hearing when people go for a team that's just, oh, the Nets or the, the Lakers, you know, like kind yeah. of like go for one of the teams that maybe not everyone goes for outside of Memphis or Justin Timberlake because yeah. he owns them still, doesn't he? I think. Does he? I'm not sure about that. I think he's got some sort of leadership stake in that team. So, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, maybe. Don't know. Um, the most recent TV show that you binge watched is? Um, I just watched like a little, I don't know, it was like a true crime kind of thing called Dr. Death. Nice. On on stand about a surgeon who was um, doing all these botched surgeries on people, so that was pretty interesting, pretty disgusting at the same time. So yeah, good to be educated and kind of know which GPs to avoid potentially when you yeah yeah and <laughs> the doctor be, get really scared next time I'm having a surgery, which will be great. Yep, yep, exactly. Uh, your biggest fear in life is besides going to doctor death, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, snakes. snakes. I hate snakes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why, but yeah, some, there's just something about them that's really creeped me out. I don't like looking at them, even on pictures, <laughs> that would just freak me out. <laughs> few, few more in Queensland than uh, you know Victoria, I can imagine. So, oh, bit, bit that would be fearful. my biggest fear: having a big carpet, carpet python in my roof or something just coming down. <laughs> I can see you looking around. It's kind of what you do when you think of this, isn't it? Like I hate spiders, and as soon as you start like, talking, I'm like, "Fuck, is there one on the roof right now?" Uh, <laughs> you kind of just—it's in your mind. Um, is, one yeah. thing that you can't live without is um probably music okay um yeah whenever i'm doing something if i'm doing chores around the house or something i'm chucking on chucking on some beats or driving a training i've always got songs on um just kind of got to get yourself pumped up so if there was no Perfect. music i'd be i'd be shattered exactly great answer alex before we let you go if people want to sort of keep up to date with you follow the journey on the lead up to paris social media anywhere people can sort of uh you know stay up to date with what you're up to yeah, my Instagram is alex.graham. Um, I'm not on Twitter that much, but um, it's alex underscore graham1 on Twitter as well. Beautiful. Alex, mate, it's been such a pleasure to chat with you and kind of learn more about your career and Olympic experiences and everything. Even as a Collingwood supporter, we we, we did it. We're, we're through here. Again, my fourth least favourite team. So, you know, I just, just want to say. <laughs> that they're... It's not too bad. There are a lot of teams out there these days. So. Yeah, not, yeah. But then we appreciate your time, Alex, and uh, we, no, we look forward to me. seeing how it goes uh, moving forward. Yeah. Cheers, Ben. Thanks a lot, mate.
And a massive thanks to Alex there. A lot of fun. And yes, Collingwood, um, we can forgive that. That's all right. Not all our guests are perfect. So that's all we can say. Uh, but thanks very much, Alex, for his time. As always, we've got plenty of great episodes coming your way, great interviews and everything else in between. If you want to stay up to date with what we've got going on here and off the podium, easiest way, of course, is follow us on social media or on Twitter or on Instagram or on Facebook. Search for us on there and subscribe to our channels and all the good podcast platforms out there. Simply type in off the podium where you find podcasts and you will no doubt find us. And as you hit those buttons and listen in, why not leave us some feedback? We'd love to hear what you think of the show and subscribe so you never miss a single episode. Big thanks again to Alex. Big thanks to everybody for tuning in today. My name is Ben. This is Off the Podium. And as always, go left. Turning Japanese, I think I'm turning Japanese.